Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 22nd, 2023, we continue our new series titled Jonah, When God Says Go. Today's sermon, Reaching the Unreachable, will be taught to us by Pastor Brendan Anderson out of Jonah chapter 3. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. This prayer of Jonah, it came from his heart. None of the words are original to Jonah. Everything that he says in that prayer comes from the Psalms. He was ready to access what was stored in his heart in the lowest point of his life. You know, training takes place before the competition. Uh, Preparation takes place before the battle because we face these times with the storehouse of what we have put in. And the key is not just to know the Bible, but to marry that knowledge to faith and submission of our hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit. See, Jonah not only knew the word, he knew how to apply the word in that situation. If you haven't already, grab a Bible or your phone or tablet, whatever you got the Bible on, open it up to Jonah chapter three. Now, Jonah is towards the end of the Old Testament. It's between Obadiah and Micah, all these wild prophet names towards the end of the Old Testament. Find Jonah in there, and we're in chapter three. And also, uh, right off the bat, I want to acknowledge the uh, kind of paradox absurdity of the title today, Reaching the Unreachable. I have some very kind but very logical people come to me today or this week and say, hey, well, you know, technically... If they're unreachable, then there's no way you could reach them. But if you could reach them, then you, you can't really say they're unreachable. Look, I get it. I get it. Reaching them, it doesn't make sense. But that's the beauty of studying God's word and the kingdom of God. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Because why? God can do the impossible. God can do the impossible. Jesus spoke in these kinds of paradoxes all the time. For someone to gain their life, they have to lose it. Lose it, right? And so we're going to see... God reached the unreachable today, and it's miraculous and awesome. So let me catch you up. Jonah chapter three, what's happened so far? Jonah is a prophet, a messenger of God. God called Jonah to go out of his own country and into the city of Nineveh to call Nineveh out on their wickedness. And uh, Pastor Jeff, the first week, gave this great analogy that Nineveh, the mission Jonah had here, that would be like in 1940, uh, a Jew being called to go straight into the middle of Berlin, Nazi Germany, and call them out on their wickedness and evil that they were doing. That's like the assignment. And Jonah said, nope, and he ran the other way. He ran, he wanted to get as far as he could. He boarded a ship, but God pursued him. God pursued Jonah just like God pursues us. God sent a storm and Jonah had the crew throw him overboard. And you heard Joe's recap just now about how Jonah prayed during his time in the fish, recognizing God's authority in his life And so then three days later, Jonah is spit out. It literally says vomited onto dry land by the fish. And that's where we are starting our uh, chapter today in Jonah chapter three. But before we jump into the actual text, I need to talk to you for a second about bananas. Now stay with me here. I'm going somewhere, I promise. But I want to talk about bananas. I picked this banana up on my way in uh, to church this morning. And this looks like a pretty good one, doesn't it? And that's the thing about bananas. You can tell uh, that they're going to be good just kind of by looking at them. 
In fact, I wanted to do a little experiment just to help warm up the room, get to know each other a little bit better. On the screen, I'm going to put a five-point banana ripeness chart. And I would just like to get a feel for who's in the room here. So don't be shy. We're all friends here. All right, but who, who likes bananas number one? Who are the green banana people? Raise them high and proud. I got a green banana crowd. Couple, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. I've heard those are healthier for you, actually, the greener they are. So good on you. How about number two? Little bit of green, but now coming for yellow. Yeah, nice and high. Okay, more and more people. That's good. How about number three? Fully yellow, but no brown on there. Yeah, that's the majority of people. I mean, that's where I am as well. The problem with level number three, for me at least, is that at my house, it seems like the banana achieves that level of ripeness for about 13 minutes. <laughs> and then it moves on to something else. That's the problem with that. All right, how about number four? A few brown spots? I'll do number four. Yeah, a few brown spots, okay. Some people get really passionate about how ripe their banana should be. Have you, ever, have you noticed this? It's weird. All right, now we're going to actually, before I go to number five, let me remind us that there is no judgment or condemnation. <laughs> Among people uh, of opinions, all right, this is an open-handed matter of opinion. There's no right or wrong here. And I'm not talking about banana bread. I'm talking about eating this banana. Who is number five? Raise them high and proud. Okay, I got one. Anybody else in number five? Maybe? Yes. It's, I mean, it's basically baby food at that point, but <laughs> you can eat it if you want. It's not going to hurt you. But that's the thing about bananas, right? You can tell just by looking at them how ripe they are. But how, how about some other fruit? There's some other fruit. You got to squeeze it a little bit or, or, or you got to smell it. I learned pineapple. You can smell it and tell how ripe it is. But there's some fruit, like different kinds of apples even, as common as they are, that you just can't tell quite how ripe they are just by looking at them. And as we're going to see in our story today, the same can be true for the people around us. The same can be true. So put a pin in that. Think about that. I'm going to move this over here. There's somebody at first service who said, I didn't hear your opening, and then I just looked at the TV screen, and there's a banana on your table, and I didn't know what was going on. So I don't want to distract people as go. But think about that uh, as we go. But let's jump into the text. Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So stop. What do we see right away in verse one? We see a second chance. In fact, that's my first point. God provides second chances. We don't want to run past this just because it's the first sentence. Our God is a God of second chances. God couldn't have been more clear with Jonah the first time and told him what to do. But Jonah said, I know what you're calling me to do, God, but I'm just not going to do that. And I'm sure, as we've taught through the first couple of weeks of this series, the Holy Spirit might have brought up some things, maybe from your past, maybe going on right now, where that might be true of you. Maybe you're running a little bit. You know, the word of the Lord has come to us, just like it came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to us. We're holding it in our hands, right? It puts a call on our life, tells us what we should be focused on. And I know in my life, too many times, I've read it and then thought, I'm just not going to do that. I can't do that. Now, maybe I've never prayed that directly to God, but I've sure shown it in my actions. I've sure shown it in my actions. And we have excuses like, I can't, I'm tired, it doesn't feel good, or my favorite excuse, God, I have a better idea. Have you ever said that one? God, I think I have a better idea. I'm gonna do that instead. But man, praise be to our great God of mercy. Each time he has lovingly, mercifully, graciously corrected me, pursued me like he pursued Jonah. Now, did he come after me with a giant fish? Thankfully, no. I don't like raw fish at all. But he has pursued me with um, closed doors, uh, opportunities that disappear, even wise counsel from, from friends, biblical counsel from friends. 
Or at times I've opened up God's word and he's pursued me. I just read a a passage randomly and it's just hit me right between the eyes. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. You see, in Jonah's case, God could have just struck him dead with lightning or drowned the whole boat or just had the fish take a big bite instead of swallow, but he didn't. He didn't. He shows mercy. He lovingly corrects Jonah. And I've experienced this. And you know what? It's not always comfortable. For Jonah, I'm sure that was not comfortable or pleasant. But I'll tell you this, it always results in a deeper faith, a deeper trust, and a peace that comes with remembering that he is God and I'm not. And then we read things like in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church and reminding them, hey, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he goes on to list a whole lot of things. And then he says in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is good news. But you might be here and you might be saying, well, yeah, but you don't know my story. You don't understand what I've done. See, there's because of what I did, there is no way that God could use me to reach other people. But church, please hear me. Our God is in the business of second chances. Look at the characters that we meet throughout the Bible. Abraham sold his wife out to another man just because he was afraid. Uh, Jacob was a liar. Moses was a murderer and ran. David was an adulterer and a murderer. All of them were used by God after those things to do incredible things for God's kingdom after they recognized God's authority and they repented because God is in the business of second chances and third and fourth. And I gotta say, if that second chance, if that sounds good to you, if you've not heard that or thought about that and that's something you wanna know more about, we usually talk about this at the end, but there's a prayer team down front at the end of every service and they would love nothing better than to pray through that with you to talk about the incredible second chance we have through Jesus Christ. We got done singing a whole bunch of worship songs just now about that very thing. See, God wants to use you and me to help bring his message of hope and salvation to the world around us. And he knows you're not perfect. He knows that we've screwed up. In fact, that's why Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Uh, Last week, if you remember, Joe talked a little bit about this word typology. Typology, that means something in the Old Testament that points to something that we're gonna see later in Jesus. See, Jesus is the better Jonah. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh and Jonah ran away. God called Jesus to go to the cross and he didn't run. God called Jonah Uh, to spend three days inside the fish. That's how God pursued Jonah. Jonah spent three days inside the fish and then preached a message of God's coming judgment. Jesus spent three days in the grave satisfying God's judgment so that we could be forgiven of our sins. See how this works? And if your faith and trust is in Christ, then the mistakes of your past are history. They're past. Jesus said it. It is finished. So it's time to look forward. What is God calling you to do to fulfill the mission to go and make disciples? God is in the business of second chances. So let's see how this played out for Jonah. Back to Jonah uh, chapter three, verse two. God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So God says, 
Go call Nineveh out on their stuff. And by the way, I'll tell you what to say. And church, God has told us what to say. He has this whole book that he's given us of great things that we can tell other people about Jesus. So this time Jonah goes and he goes straight into Nineveh. So let's talk about Nineveh for a second. Uh, Verse three, it says, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Now, when it says great, understand that it doesn't mean, oh yeah, it's great, it's awesome. No, it means big, great, big, powerful. It was huge, around 60 miles to walk around it. Its population, anywhere from 120,000 to 500,000 people. It was a military powerhouse in the region. In Jonah chapter one, God, remember, he says, Nineveh's evil has come up before me. The Assyrians who lived there were by all accounts ruthless to their enemies. They didn't just use torture to win, they used torture to humiliate the people that they conquered. And they considered Israel, where Jonah was from, their enemy. The prophet Nahum says that Nineveh was a place of unceasing evil. They were superstitious with a bunch of temples to little gods, including a god of agriculture and a god of war and a goddess of fertility. By all accounts, this Nineveh was a brutal, selfish, pleasure-seeking, power-hungry society. And so when it comes to a people group who might have been open to hearing about the one true God, uh, Nineveh would not have been at the top of anybody's list. If, in fact, if you would have asked anybody throughout Israel uh, how likely it was that the people of Nineveh would turn to worship the one true God, they probably would have all laughed in your face. I mean, remember our banana ripeness scale? People would have probably said Nineveh was like a negative three, the greenest of green bananas, Nowhere near ripe. And that's what Jonah is walking into. And that's why what happens next is actually so amazing. Verse four, continuing on. It says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. Eight words. That's all we get from Jonah. Actually, it's five words in the original Hebrew. So stop for one second and think about telling other people about Jesus, telling other people, and we, we start to overcomplicate it, don't we? We think, oh, we gotta take another class, or we have to learn some more things, or we gotta be a Christian for a little bit longer, but we don't. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. You just tell people what you know about Jesus and how he's changed your life, and then watch what God does. God does the work. What's also interesting here is that there are actually a lot of things that Jonah could have said to the people of Nineveh, or that God could have had Jonah say to the people of Nineveh. Their list of sins, it was long. I mean, he could have said something like, oh, I don't know, stop murdering people, stop torturing, stop worshiping idols. So why would God have Jonah say this? And it brings up our second point, that God knows our heart issue and he calls it out for our good. God knows our heart issue, and he calls it out for our good. All throughout scripture, we see God working in this way. He's using a person's, or in this case, a city's, an entire city's biggest heart issue to call them out, and ultimately to call them to himself. He does it again and again with people in the Old, New Testament. Um, We had a great example of this actually in our daily Bible reading. We're doing something called Get in the Word. Daily Bible reading, I'm sure a lot of you are involved in that, but if you'd like to join us reading the Bible each day, uh, go to Info Central. We have cards about that. Shameless plug. You can get signed up today, start reading tomorrow. But in our daily reading, we've been in 
into the, the gospel of Mark, learning about the life of Jesus. And in, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus encounters this guy called the rich young ruler. And this guy comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, how do I get into heaven? Because I gotta tell you, Jesus, I got all those 10 commandment things, I got them down, no problem. So how do I get into heaven? And it says this in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 21 on the screen. It says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. What happened? Disheartened by the saying, the man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. What an incredible reminder. This is how God works. God is absolutely omniscient. He knows everything and he knows the depths of the hearts of everyone on earth and when he wants to grow us, He's not gonna work through something with which we don't struggle. He's gonna use the things that we're struggling, wrestling with, that are our heart issue. I mean, maybe you're a sports person. Does a good coach just spend all of practice running drills on things that his team has completely mastered? No, he wouldn't do that at all. A good coach knows where his team struggles and he's gonna run drills that surface those things, that get to the heart of those things so that his team can get better at those things. God knows that the Ninevites are are murdering and torturing and promiscuous idol worshipers, but those are symptoms. God knows that the Ninevites, ultimately, they love their power. They love their power, power to do whatever they want, however they want. And so he sends this prophet and says, hey, that power you enjoy, it's all gonna get taken away. And the message clearly hits home. Let's read on, verse five. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I love that detail at the end there, the greatest to the least. This wasn't just a little fringe group that Jonah found in the city. This is citywide, all classes, all ranks. And another detail that I wanna clarify in this verse, because we see it pop up throughout the Old Testament, is this people putting on sackcloth, or sometimes putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes. What is that all about? I mean, I don't own a sackcloth. Do you own a sackcloth? Is it in your closet? Probably not. Uh, But in this time period, this Middle Eastern cultures like this, this was done as a sign of repentance and humility and recognizing that something is wrong. Now, ironically, in our culture, we kind of do the opposite, right? We screw up, something goes horribly wrong at school or work or with a relationship, and what do we do? We go home and we put on stretchy pants, right? Fuzzy slippers, snuggies, blankets, anything that we can do. We go overboard on comfort clothes because we feel pain inside and we're trying to make it go away. But the sackcloth tradition here is a form of self-denial, not self-comfort. It's leaning into the reality that says, man, I messed up, I messed up. A sackcloth, it's super uncomfortable, it's itchy and coarse fabric, and so it was a constant reminder that something was wrong that needed to be made right. And in this chapter, what it means is that the people of Nineveh are really wrecked over what Jonah is saying. But it gets even crazier, let's continue on. Verse six. Verse six, it says, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. 
do you realize how incredible this is? I mean, going back to Jeff's analogy again from week one, this would be like um, Anne Frank. A lot of you study Anne Frank in school, right? A young Jewish girl hiding from the Nazis during World War II. This would be like Anne Frank just walking right into Berlin and saying, hey, stop this war and give all of your prisoners and enemies full equality. And the Nazis being like, you're right. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yes, yes, right away, we'll do it. And then Hitler himself just throwing open the gates of all the camps and personally apologizing to all these people and giving them back all their property and possessions. I mean, this is incredible. Remember our our banana ripeness scale, right? In Nineveh, these people who looked like they were a solid number one turned out to be a mushy banana bread baking level five. Nineveh was ripe. The king of Nineveh himself encourages everyone to worship the one true God. What else does it show? It shows us that even in the midst of their pride and power, the Ninevites, they were fully aware of their sin. Fully aware. In verse eight, the king calls what they were doing evil and violent. And so this great and mighty city, they instantly repent and turn to God. What is going on? Well, it's our third and last point. God can reach the unreachable. God can reach the unreachable. Let's read on. Let's watch it happen. Verse eight. The king said, let everyone turn from his evil way from the violence that in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That's another great detail. I love the question that the king asks here. Who knows? Who knows? See, this guy ruled a society that would sacrifice to idols and they were superstitious and they'd see a solar eclipse and they'd freak out and, and, and when a bunch of people would get sick, they thought there was judgment coming. They have this uncertainty and then this prophet comes along and calls out their core heart issue and they have even more uncertainty. So let's pause for a second and think, church, how incredible is the certainty we have in Jesus Christ? How amazing is that? Because... When we're in Christ, we don't have to say that. We don't have to say, well, who knows if my sins are forgiven? We know. We know. We don't have to say, oh, I wonder, who knows if I'm made right with God? We are through Christ. We don't have to wonder, hey, who knows if I'm gonna get to heaven? We know. Why? Because Jesus said, it is finished. Sins are forgiven through Christ. We're made right with God through Christ. But how often have you heard some of the people around you in your life who don't know Jesus say something like this? Who knows? Who knows? You hear it in different ways. You might hear someone say, I think the universe is angry with me. You might hear them say, well, I try and do good things so that I have good karma. You might hear people say, "Um, man, I must have done something in my past life for all this stuff to be happening in my life right now. I mean, it's all this weird, random spirituality. It has absolutely no foundation, none. And so the people around us, they're left with this uncertainty, this worry and fear, even hopelessness. What a great opportunity to open our mouths and tell people about the certainty we have in Jesus Christ. See how that works? God wants to use you in that way. So the king, back to Nineveh, says, who knows? God might hold off on our destruction if we turn things around. And we don't get to learn any more about the condition of their hearts, but it's interesting that Jesus talks about Nineveh 800 years later in his ministry. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is actually calling out the religious leaders of his day for just missing the point of his message. And Jesus says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they, the people of Nineveh, repented at the preaching of Jonah. All right, so yes, God sees their repentance. 
their willingness to turn from doing wrong and seek after him, and then God shows them mercy. He shows them mercy. He gives them the same second chance that Jonah just received with the fish, the same second chance that we receive by grace every single day. Verse 10, it says that, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, hold on one second, because you might actually read that and say, wait a second, didn't he have Jonah say, hey, in 40 days you'll be overthrown, so what's going on here? Did he have Jonah lie, or did God just like all of a sudden change his mind here? And the answer on both those is no, no. There are so many places in God's word that he reminds us he doesn't change. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind right? God is sovereign. We use that word a lot. God is sovereign. That means he is in full control and nothing is outside of God's control. We need to be careful in times like this not to put our human emotion or or human wisdom onto God as if God just says, well, we'll see how this goes. I don't know. Or, Or God's looking at the Ninevites repenting and like, whoa, I did not see that coming. That's not how God works at all. And the message he had Jonah say is in perfect keeping with his character. Uh, He spoke through another prophet named Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 18, God said this. He said, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent from the disaster that I intended to do to it. See, God gave Nineveh this wake-up call to bring them to a place of repentance, and he knew they were ready to hear it. He knew they were ripe. Jonah chapter three is showing us a good and merciful father who is bringing a disobedient people to himself. What an incredible story. And today, uh, in 2023, Nineveh, it's still there. You can go there in northern Iraq, but it's a ruin. After Jonah preached to the Ninevites and they repented, they actually experienced a period of peace. They stopped making war for a few generations. It appears that their hearts were closer to God's. Now, unfortunately, new kings came in and pushed them back into their old ways, back into war. And about 100 years after this, God brought to pass what he said would happen. Nineveh was overthrown by Babylonians and Persians and uh, those people tore it apart and it was never rebuilt. Its power and influence, it was gone forever. But... The Assyrians who lived there, they weren't wiped out. They were just scattered into other cities and ruled by others. In fact, in that part of the world, 800 years after Jonah, now the early Christian church has started, started in Jerusalem, expanding with, with, with Jesus' instruction. The early church uh, preached to the Assyrians there. It was one of the first groups that they evangelized to, and guess what? They were still ripe. This part of the world quickly became a thriving center for missionaries that then went out to preach the gospel to the entire Eastern world. And not only that, but today, right there in northern Iraq, among the Kurdish people, there remains the largest concentration of Christians in that particular region. And I kid you not, church, after first service, I was walking up the aisle after the service to head out to the lobby, and a a woman stopped me and she said, hey, she's like, great job. I want you to know I'm a Syrian. I'm a Syrian. I'm an Assyrian Christian. She was here to go to discover highlands. God has been transforming that region in the hearts of those people, drawing them to himself. They're right here at highlands today. It's incredible. God is in the business of bringing people to himself. And how is he going to do it? How? You. 
Me, the church, he's gonna use us. We put this verse up on the screen all the time. Matthew 28, this is Jesus talking in verse 19. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the call. And so we study Jonah and we read Matthew 28 and then what? I think sometimes we walk out here and say, yeah, but... You know, I'm not qualified. Uh, The things I've done, it just doesn't, but church, stop. God is in the business of second chances. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Your past is past. It is finished, right? God wants to use you now. But you might say, yeah, but the people around me, the people around me have already heard the gospel. I mean, let's face it, people in America in general, they know what Jesus is and, and what he's all about. They've already heard it. And you know what? They didn't receive it. Now that's, Uh, one I've heard before, and I've actually said that before. It seems like a good excuse. Jonah could have said it too. He could have said, hey, the Assyrians, they're powerful. There's nothing that they don't know about the Israelites and our God. They've heard everything. Why would I say it again? And that's a pretty compelling objection. At least it was until I became a parent. See, last winter, uh, I took my kids skiing, my two kids skiing, and then my brother went along and he brought his daughter as well, my niece. Now, my brother and I are good skiers and we thought, hey, this is gonna be easy. We're gonna teach our kids how to ski. It's gonna be awesome. And so I started with my son and I was teaching my son Jack how to ski and in the morning, it was not going well. I mean, there was, there was crying, there was yelling. Jack was also having a bad time. Um, <laughs> and so we broke for lunch. And we went and had lunch, and I said to my brother, I said, hey, what if, what if you gave it a try with Jack? I'll ski with my niece. Maybe we could just trade and just see. Now, at that point, my brother could have said, hey, look, I mean, I'm not gonna teach him anything you haven't tried to teach him already. He's just not ready. He's not getting it. Let's just call it a day. But he didn't. He didn't. My brother took on the assignment. He took on the assignment, took Jack out. We rode up the very next chairlift ride after lunch. I ski down and five minutes later, my son Jack is skiing past me perfectly. Hey dad, this is awesome! (laughs) By telling my son the exact same things I had told him just a couple hours before, now Jack was skiing happily. I mean, parents, you know this. You tell your kids something over and over and they're just not getting it. And then a teacher or a friend or an uncle or somebody in their life says the exact same thing and they're like, oh yeah, wow, that's true. (laughs) So don't make the excuse not to share the gospel with people who need to hear it, even if they've heard it already. Maybe God wants them to hear it from you. Maybe he wants them to hear it from you. Because see, God in his sovereignty, he put people around you uniquely because God knows the way that you talk about him is gonna be different from another person. The people he's put around you in his sovereignty, knowing the condition of their hearts are the people that he wants you to tell about him. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't try and do God's work by trying to know the ripeness of their heart. We don't know. Just tell everyone and tell, keep it simple. Tell what you know about Jesus and how he's changed your life and God will do the work inside that person. I can't tell you how many times also the the pastors here have had somebody come up after the sermon and say, "Um, have you been reading my texts or my emails? Because were you preaching just to me? Because that was creepy specific to what's going on. I have a spoiler alert for you. We have no idea. 
We have no idea, but God does. That's God working, right? I'm just up here saying whatever I think God wants me to say about Jonah chapter three. If that's making a connection for you, that's God working. He gets the glory. And now you might say, yeah, but the person I'm thinking of, they're super against God, like bumper stickers on the car, raging atheists. They don't want anything to do with God. I mean, there is no way, but church, God reaches the unreachable. Jonah chapter three, that's the beauty of it. These Ninevites, in the city of Nineveh, there was no way. They had everything they wanted, power, fame, prestige. They wanted to conquer the Israelites, not, not bow down to their God. From the outside, they didn't look ripe at all. But God knew that they were right where he wanted them. Our job is to be faithful to answer the call in front of us to go, to go tell people about Jesus. And you don't have to travel to a foreign country. If God's calling you there, great, go. But Chances are, for the majority of us, I'm guessing your Nineveh might be wherever God has you going tomorrow morning. It might be the school bus drop-off line. It might be your Monday morning staff meeting. It might be your first period class at Pinnacle. It might be uh, your toddler who wakes you up at 5.30 in the morning and is ready for discipleship, right? Maybe it's to your spouse who has no time for God. And like the city of Nineveh, you might be looking at your Monday morning and thinking, pfft, the people that I'm going to encounter tomorrow, there's no way. There's no way. The people at work, they just want to gossip all the time. Or the people at school, they just want to party and hook up. There's just no way. It's hopeless. But church, Jesus said it in Mark 10, 27, and Jonah chapter 3 shows it just plain as day. With God, all things are possible. Amen? Or let me throw one more out there. You might, right now, you're Nineveh. It might just be looking back at you in the mirror. Sometimes the hardest people we have to preach the gospel to is ourselves because we feel far from God. And I hope if, if that's you, again, we would love to pray with you after the service, come down front because our God is a God of second chances. He wants to pursue you, bring him into himself and give you a new life. You know, next week, I'm gonna bring the worship team uh, back up here. Next week, uh, Pastor Kevin is gonna give us a look inside Jonah's heart because we haven't talked much about Jonah himself in this chapter, we're gonna look inside Jonah's heart and what we're gonna find is the real reason that Jonah didn't wanna to go to Nineveh. And I gotta tell you, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. This incredible transformation happens in Nineveh and Jonah is actually angry. He's angry. Why? Because he has the same hang up as a lot of us do. He wants to see evil people get what they deserve. Don't we want that? So even though Jonah received this amazing gift of mercy and grace from God, he turns around and wants nothing but punishment for the people of Nineveh. So God's gonna work on Jonah's heart in chapter four, and in the process, God's gonna work on our hearts too. And that's why it's so important to get this part right in remembering that people's heart condition, that's up to God. Their ripeness, God knows. That's not up to us. If we try to judge a person's readiness for the gospel, and we have that thought of, I don't think they're ready for the gospel, man, that thought can quickly become, I don't think they're worthy of the gospel. And church, that is a dangerous, dangerous road to go down. So I want to end today by having us do two things. First, we're going to pray, and I'm going to warn you, I'm going to give a little bit of silent time in the middle of this prayer for you to just do work with God. I don't know the people around you. I don't know your circle of influence or, or where God is calling you, but just give you some quiet time to let God surface those names or places that he might want you to go and tell others about Jesus, no matter how lost or hopeless those people might seem to you. 
all right? Who is God asking you to go to? And then we're gonna sing a song called Authority. We're gonna end our time recognizing that the results of our sharing, they're not up to us. We have no idea when the people around us are ripe for the gospel. Only God does, and all things are on his authority, who he calls, who he saves, and how it all happens. So church, would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, God, we are so thankful for your word, for the story in the book of Jonah, showing us how you work and your character and your heart for people, even people that from the outside just seem like they are so far from you. So Father, would you help us to have your heart? Would you give us your heart? The people in our lives or the situations that we might have written off, would you forgive us of that? And instead, give us the boldness and confidence to go to those people. And in fact, right now, Father, uh, we wanna take some time. Would you just bring up names or places of people that you want us to go to even now? Father, as we think about those people and those places, God, we we can get nervous. We can be unsure. So, Father, we need your strength. It's not going to happen through our strength, but yours. Would you give us the boldness and the confidence to share, to open our mouths, not overcomplicate it, but just simply tell them about your goodness, about the gift of grace we have through your son, Jesus Christ, about his sacrifice for us, how we can be made right with you and what you have done to transform our lives. Father, just show us so directly where you want us to go. And so, Father, be with us now as we worship you with our voices, giving you worship and praise for who you are, your sovereignty, and the fact that you are in full control. God, we worship and adore you and thank you for all of it through your son, the one who makes it all possible through Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Church, will you stand and join us as we sing about God's authority in our lives? I love that song. One word from God through his prophet Jonah and an entire city, half a million people were transformed. And the legacy lives on right here at Highlands Church today. Do you realize how incredible that is? So what will God do through the word from you that you tell others about him? Look, you're not in charge of the results. Your job is to be faithful to share and go in keeping what God has called us to do. Don't judge the ripeness of somebody's heart in your world. Head out there and just open your mouth. Tell what Jesus has done in your life, how good he is, and then watch what God does. Amen? Amen. Church, we're so glad that you were here. We will see you next week to wrap up Jonah. Have a great week.